I'm John. Hi, I'm Hallie. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. John, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Sure. I'm John. I uh, have been on Topic Lords a few times. Uh, according to the list, someone who had access, I actually know who it is this time, someone who had access to the Topic Lords bucket, to the Topic bucket rather, decided to determine who had been on the show the most. You've been on nine times, so this is number ten. Not, oh, I'm in the Ten nice. Timers Club. Yeah, there's only... Fantastic. Not counting me, there are now five people in the Ten Timers Club. Wow. An exclusive... Uh, I can't believe I've been on that many times. I feel like I've, I'm barely ever on. Well, ten times in like three years is, you know, not, not actually that many. Has it been three years? Almost. This is going to be episode Gosh. like 145. Jim, you've got a whole empire going here. Yeah. Yep. Um... But I but I do have a thing to plug. Oh. And this is this is one for uh for the baseball fans out there Ooh. and uh fans of the of the garages in particular. <laughs> uh on a whim, I created a Twitter bot called at Garages Covers that uh comes up with some fantastical uh ideas for famous bands covering various garages songs. Uh, so if you go on there every hour, you can see a new proposal for uh, a cool track that you might like. Very cool. And what was the what was this bot? It is at Garages Covers. I mean, and I don't know if everyone knows the music of the Garages, but it's a band that came out of people who were inspired by the cultural phenomenon of baseball to make music about it. Right. And they're very good. There's twenty something people in the band, and and so you can imagine. Elliot Smith performing their their track "Remember Them" Seb version, right? Or Neutral Milk Hotel performing "Replacement Waltz." So anyway, that's a that's a thing that I put out into the world. It's it's been a lot of fun. So and the world's just going to have to deal. Yeah, whether you like it or not, the garages. So that's me. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. Hello. And Hallie, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, I'm Hallie. I'm an increasingly hard to describe person. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Keep everyone guessing forever. I mean, there's a through line there somewhere. Uh, I don't know what my career is now. I do. You just, you just will on your way to becoming public universal friend. I mean, God, I fucking wish <laughs> public universal friend. Fucking cool. Fucking love that asshole not at <laughs> anyway uh i was trying to think of like a good like rad gender neutral it's, term you're just re you're reclaiming the word asshole i mean yeah that friend i yeah. guess friend is is the right word there. what a good friend um, <laughs> what a good friend no uh i'm hallie i live in maine and do a bunch of stuff generally around education technology and spirituality uh usually two out of three uh at any given pursuit what do I have to plug? I'm uh, that podcast that I plugged last time still hasn't shipped. We've done more interviews for it, but my yeah, my co-host's life has been uh, a living hell. Uh, so not a living hell. Anyway, I'm talking too much. <laughs> I don't think this is relevant to anyone because this will be out after then, and you know, none of you or very few of you are in Maine. But I'm running a workshop next in two weeks. Where I, well, we'll talk about it later, but where we talk about fandom and, like, the sort of fan mythos that we're into, like Star Wars and those, uh, and try to use them in a spiritual context, uh, but I'll talk about that later. Yeah, this sounds like, okay, so you can say you're plugging, this is the sort of thing that sometimes happens in Maine. Yeah, yeah, I'm plugging, I'm plugging Maine is cool, especially in the summer. I have, I've come so close to making it to Maine multiple times, and every time, it's like I'll be in Massachusetts, and I'll just be like, is this the time that I go to Maine? And it always just seems too far. Like, coming back from Western Mass in the, Western Mass in the direction of uh, Boston, and it's just like, if I just go left, I'll be there. Yeah. How often, for reference, do you end up in Massachusetts? Maybe once a year. For the last okay. couple All right. of years, I, I I have I have some friends who live out there, and it's just it's so beautiful. Uh, and the first time I ever went to Western Mass was in October, and it was just like the leaves were perfect. And so now every time we have an opportunity, we try to make our way back to that part of the that part of the country around that time of the year. But I had a, a friend of mine went to Maine 
last year in maybe like August or September, like right as the leaves started changing and she's like camped out for a week. Um, and I was incredibly jealous of that. So yeah, Maine's, Maine sounds incredible. One day I'll make it to Maine. It is. It's nice. It's cold in the winters, but like not as much as the Midwest even. So right. Yeah. Having been in the Midwest can, can confirm. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm going to plug finding the right microphone settings. Oh, I've been re- recording my voice more often than usual recently. I actually don't know if the listeners to the podcast are going to be able to tell the difference. I'd be curious. Uh, but I've been recording my voice more often recently because I've been doing the, that, the Mario Let's Play. And I didn't even do this on purpose, but like somehow one time I got this incredibly clear voice that I really liked, a voice recording that I really liked. And I've just desperately been clinging to whatever, like, like a cargo cult processes that made this happen. Um, and it's, I don't know, I just really like how it sounds. And uh, maybe I should learn how this stuff really works. What's your, what's your setup? Uh, I have a, um, a Blue Yeti, uh, which is just, it's just a, I don't need, so which means I don't need like a preamp or anything. It's just all in one thing, plugs into a USB port. And uh, recording into Audacity. Hmm. So I think what's happening is just like microphone placement, like relative to my face. Uh, Because I've noticed just a huge difference in when I'm doing like audio processing, how much room noise is in the sound versus how much of my voice. Like, so you can use uh, noise reduction to reduce room noise, like reduce like, like, like hums and hisses and that sort of thing. Um, and it, it does an okay job, but you still get the room tone, like the reverb, which is mm. more arguably part of your voice than it is the ambient noise. Mm. But for whatever reason, the way I'm doing it now, I get a lot less perceptible reverb in the recording, and I don't have to do anywhere near as much noise reduction. Uh, and man, I would love to know how I did it so I could do it again on purpose. It was like the time that I, like, when I played through Bloodborne, there were like four bosses that I just didn't even have to try. I just did them once, and they got them the first try, and if I ever replay that game, those are the four bosses that are like, I'm the most terrified of, because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea how I did it. Wait, which bosses were they, though? They were the Blood Starved Beast, mm-hmm. uh, and the last three, so Murgro's Wet Nurse. Yeah. And then I'm not sure which of the two remaining bosses are spoilers, if any. The second form is kind of a spoiler, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they both are, sort of, yeah. kind of. So, like, the, the last three bosses of the game just, like, blitzed right through with no retries. Just seeing the code, seeing how it's all connected. I guess so. Like, honestly, I think I was overleveled. Although, it's not like I did a bunch of side quests. Like, I didn't do the DLC, so I don't know how that, how that happened. Anyway, this is a video game podcast. I mean, in part, it is. It is. Just it, in the way that video games touch our lives. That's true. I know you from the context of both playing and making video games, so it makes sense. <laughs> this is a fair point. And so does John, kind of. I've always seen myself as kind of a barnacle of the, the games scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Like, I enjoy a video game here and there, but also I know Jim, and Jim knows a lot of people who are in that space. Right. And I've I've talked to many of them on this podcast. That's true. Yeah. No, it's good to be a barnacle on the game scene. I've I've settled into a barnacle on the game scene life and it's great. <laughs> yeah. I being being a D-list. Uh <laughs> D-list like has been is like my favorite level of fame. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's maybe maybe even C or B-list. Like a, a couple a couple people have a couple really good stories about knowing you, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's what you want. You want like the level of fame where you're like you walk into a room and nobody knows who you are, and then I want the level of fame where I'm teaching my students and like then they actually play the game I made and I'm like, wait, your game was good. <laughs> like that's the right level of fame. Yeah, weird. The- huh? <laughs> so you're the one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I did that on purpose. That made it good. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Are we ready to start with some topics? Sure. Both feet into the bucket of topics. Oh, gross. You're going to make a mess. Allie, your topic is finding value in shared imagined spaces 
and worlds outside of religious contexts. So, I don't know, six months ago, uh, remember that I have a religious studies degree. And <laughs> part of me wanted to go back to grad school. And whenever I go back to grad, want to go back to grad school, I, one, talk to a bunch of people who are friends of mine who have been to grad school and are like, and, and they convince me not to. And then I start a side project. So this is my current sort of side project. I've been uh, looking into this concept of uh, imagined worlds and imagined bodies uh, towards sort of a, a queer theology of them. You see this a lot in religious contexts where you have people, you know, you have like heaven is a shared, like imagined space, but imagined in the sense that people have it in their heads. I'm making no particular comments on the existence or non-existence of heaven, but I'm going to call it an imagined space in this context. Right. And also like historical imagined events and places and bodies, like the, the, the body of Jesus, like whatever the historical version has like very specific attributes that a lot of people in these traditions know. And a lot of people in like European history just knew. So you have these like, bodies and these spaces that exist entirely in the imaginary uh, to facilitate communication and create uh, community cohesion and canon. And that's really interesting to me. And I know a lot of people who have, uh, for a lot of very good reasons, uh, lost or do not have a relationship with uh, the religious tradition that, or have a very negative relationship with the religious tradition they grew up in. And uh, I do not blame them at all. Uh, I'm like weirdly lucky to have grown up in a, in a religion that doesn't do that to people, honestly. And honestly, it still does. So like, <laughs> but like having studied the value, like I studied mostly mystical traditions. I'm very into like, even as a Quaker, like I believe that everybody has a personal relationship with like whatever they consider divine or not divine or truth or reality or whatever. And like, it's not my place to tell other people what to believe. Uh, so, as you can imagine, when I graduated with a religious studies degree, finding a job was hard. Because um, <laughs> usually to get a job in uh, in religion, you got to want to tell people what to believe. So I've been sort of like trying to square that circle for a while. And I realized that uh, just working with youth and being in the world realized like how much that fandoms and like the sort of fandom mythos that people interact with has started to serve this function of like a canon of a shared cultural language and these uh stories that are like a sacred significance that speak to people i talk a lot about how um i think on a past podcast about how the uh nicene creed and rome's conversion to christianity and uh disney buying star wars were kind of the same historical event <laughs> yeah that's our new canon it's right, but th that's exactly it. This is our new canon. So sure, space is the Millennium Falcon at Disneyland. <laughs> I mean, right? This is the thing. You have these like cathedrals. To you have like literal almost cathedrals in the Disney castles. Like it's fascinating where you have these shared imagined spaces and worlds, and how we talk about them. You have fan fiction and stuff around them. So um, I realized that like if I don't want to tell people what to believe, what I can do is help people figure out what they believe and work with the canons and the fandoms and the mythos that they've already formed a relationship with. And I'm, so I'm running a workshop on that next weekend, and I hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah. I have questions about this, because conceptually, I, I, I think I understand that idea. But do you, can you give an example of like a concrete representation of what this would, would be like and, and what, it would, what it would mean to someone who... I don't know, is able to express that or, or communicate that or, or square that with themselves. So like the, there are simple mundane examples, which are just like where people in previous generations in European history might use like a religious parable, might mm -hmm. like talk about the Good Samaritan mm -hmm. or like and use these shorthands, you know, instead, right. instead we might say like Han and uh, Leia at at the end of uh empire and mm. like and conjure like a like not, obviously not the same story but like but still using it to convey like like it's the whole darmok thing do you know yeah darmok, yeah absolutely I, I was about to yeah. say this sounds like darmok and jalad it's all know. very darmok and jalad like uh uh for people listening who are not familiar with this uh and darmok jalad is itself very darmok and jalad right mm. like that's the great <laughs> this is actually a great example of exactly this thing um there's an episode of Star Trek where uh, they are meeting a new alien uh, group that maybe wants to be part of the Federation, and they're having a lot of trouble translating. Their, their words are coming through, but they're all proper nouns. So 
they end up beaming Picard and like the leader of this other ship down on a planet, Picard being the captain of the Enterprise in this iteration. And they go through this like they go through this uh, almost ritual like survival experience like they camp together and they fight this great beast together and they like share the stories of their cultures with each other and like uh darmok and jalad at tanagra uh, ends up being about like these two great heroes who fight uh, a beast and like one of them sacrifices itself a thing and sort of the episode over the course of it tells the story of this and um picard relates that to you know the story of gilgamesh and enkidu uh and talk about how like these important stories and the importance of these stories becomes this cultural shorthand and how experiencing each other's shorthand stories can help, um, can help bring cultures together. And like to someone familiar with that context, I can just say Darmok and it sort of comes across and like just saying Darmok, when you want to convey the idea of like cultures coming together and creating shared experiences by sharing their cultural context, uh, that's a good, that's a good, like, efficient way of both building, like, building shared meaning, and also it creates this, like, like that's almost like the shard of a theory of how culture works and communication works. So you create these worldviews, these sort of views of world state uh, that are shared in a culture and sort of um, this notion in, in Quakerism about the Holy Spirit moving through a community and speaking through individuals, and I see... My my spirituality is very materialist. I tend to ground uh, most spiritual phenomena in like just communication tech that we don't understand yet. Sometimes, but like I think of how much a shared platform and space that we can reference can be a tool to help uh, promote group cohesion uh, and and uh, shared worldview. And that's interesting. Yeah, I, and I think it's it's also interesting that. So for maybe a thousand years in Europe, the the Bible was the only frame of reference that anybody had, right? Uh, culturally speaking, and so that was everybody's everybody's lens. Uh, and especially over the past century, we've seen like I mean, you look back at you know growing up in the eighties, everybody I knew watched Saturday morning cartoons, and we had that cultural lens, for example. Back then, and before then, there were like four TV channels, and so everybody watched the same shows, too. Uh, and it's getting a lot more fractured now, not just in terms of there's more TV channels, but there are just more kinds of media mm-hmm. uh, available to everybody. And everybody is not just, you know, watching the things that are coming out now, but they're watching and listening to movies from all eras, much more uh, heterogeneous. And I wonder if this means that well, so first of all, I think people like kids nowadays are texting all the time. So they actually probably are better at communicating. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if this is like a handicap that is placed upon them or if they're just going to, it's going to be like a, the kind of handicap that makes them ultimately very strong. Like I, I see it. Yeah. I don't even know if handicap, I think of it like it's the, the, it's growing like heritage crops instead of, um, monoculture crops like you don't get the kind of like yield and efficiency out of it but you are way more resilient against uh blight like if you are growing one kind of potato and something comes through that attacks that kind of potato your entire crop is ruined but if you are growing a bunch of potatoes that you've like that you've grown and have like grown in this area of the world they're more they're more resilient they're you know, not all of them are going to die at once if the blight comes through, uh, and they're going to be better adapted to living in that environment. Right. Yeah, we've seen more and more interactions between fandoms, and, and like, uh, not always in positive ways. Like, you have people who have, like, traumatic experiences with certain fandoms, either from members of those fandoms or creators in those fandoms. Like, uh, I'm running this with a bunch of uh, queer people and like very purposefully said uh, I'm not gonna like we're not gonna engage with the Harry Potter fandom for this thing because if I'm gonna do a whole Harry Potter thing like I wanna like place the space around that and make sure people come in and like I put a thing in the beginning just to make sure that I'm not just bringing my own biases like are there any fandoms that that you have experienced like traumatic things with and would cause you pain to uh, engage with because quite frankly uh, a lot of people I know have those painful relationships with the Jesus fandom and like <laughs> but yeah like more and more I realize that like that religions are old fandoms or at least religions like 
Christianity. Like there are others that different religions worth different ways and the European conception of religion is not necessarily applicable uh, as much outside of that. But uh, it's an interesting thought. Like you have these texts that anyway, I'm babbling. I'm going to stop, but. No, I, I, I see what you're getting at. Like everyone kind of had has the same stories and has been told the same stories, and and having that that shared language about it and the shared understanding about it makes communication uh, able to happen more rapidly and in, in, in that shorthand, and kind of gets a sense of of who who is in your in your circle and who might might be you know a few steps removed from it or something like that, right? Right, but it also potentially limits your viewpoint and your mm. worldview right. as opposed to if you're just like you know if you're working with one kind of potato you don't get all the different right, kinds right, right. like you don't get you can't make one dish with a waxy potato and one dish with a starchy potato sorry i was just up like visiting where my great grandparents the potato farmers lived uh <laughs> guess i, I don't think i've ever had a waxy potato that's interesting is that referring to the skin of the potato uh, so maybe I think. Right. Uh, side note: I think a Yukon Gold is considered a waxy potato. Oh, yeah, I was uh, say. I've had those. Yeah, they're still pretty starchy, though. I mean, I don't think you're going to get a non-starchy potato, honestly. Okay. Uh yeah. This is just the words that I have heard. This is my some knowledge of. I'm I'm a bad descendant of those ancestors in a lot of ways. <laughs> I've been a bad, bad waxy potato. <laughs> Not sure if I have anything else to to add. Like the other thing that comes to mind is just meme culture broadly is oh, is kind of a, a further example of this, right? Where now we have these different references that we make, and you know people can have entire conversations just with with uh, image macros back and forth. And things. yeah, yep. which is great. Like that to me is a living culture. I don't know. Yep. Uh, I yep. like. I like the diversity. I like the thing, but yeah, it creates challenges and I'm interested in finding tools to help navigate those challenges. Uh, before we move on, Hallie, I would like your opinion on, so we were talking about how the Bible was our only frame of reference for thousands of years or a thousand years or more. How, how good like, is it, do you think as a philosophical text compared to, for example, Harry Potter? It's really interesting. I, I think it is richer because it comes from more sources compiled over longer time as opposed to a single source. So okay, I think, okay. uh, having said that, there's a great podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, sorry to plug outside of plugs, <laughs> that goes through and actually does read the entirety of that book chapter by chapter using the tools of sacred uh, analysis. Hmm. So there is evidence out there, ample evidence that you can absolutely use those texts. And to some extent, like, I think the act of interpretation and the creation of shared symbols does a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. um, not regardless of the source text, but with any sufficiently complex source text. Uh, this is this is one of the reasons I call um, Terra roguelike uh, literary analysis slash spiritual analysis. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, which I think has come up before. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. John, your topic is Final Fantasy Challenge Zero Story and other vaporware games and mods of which no record exists on the internet. Yeah. This one makes me a little sad because I had a lot of hope for this project and now I don't know if it existed or if I hallucinated it. It's possible. Um, and I hope I hope you all have your own examples of things that may or may not have ever existed that were very exciting in the moment. Um, so I'm going to go back in time to uh, early 2000s when the internet was still a lot was going on that was hard to find. It's like a lot of things kind of fly under the radar. And if you're interested in a particular topic, you could find things that were kind of off the beaten path. And so one of the things that I was interested in, and still am interested in, but one of the things I was interested in was Final Fantasy. Sure. And this was around the time as well when uh, emulators were, were kind of becoming more of a... Like there, there were more of them and they were getting better. This also led to people modding old old Nintendo games. And so one of the ones that I came across was this rather ambitious project. And I, I, I honestly am hope I hope I remember the name of this properly, but but it was called Final Fantasy Challenge Zero Story. And it was intended to be a a full mod of the original Final Fantasy game for the Nintendo that 
you shifted everything about the plot and everything else. There were there were original sprites and original uh, art for for different monsters and stuff like that. Still using the basic premise of four adventurers going out and and doing things, but um, but there were. It, it, I think it was just someone's passion project, like one person um, who put a lot of time into making art and a lot of, uh, you know, there were a lot of hand-drawn uh, scans of drawings in pencil of what this monster was supposed to look like. And then there was also a cool picture of the sprite that was generated from it. Um, so someone who's actually had the skills to do both of these things, um, which again, uh, for me, I I was very early 20s and so there was still a lot of mystery about what was what was possible and who could you know who had the skills to do these things and i, I anyway I, I remember following this this project for a while and and just kind of checking back on it periodically and I, at some point i just stopped checking now many years later i have looked for it again and there is just no trace of it um, and I don't know, I don't remember what the domain was. I don't remember who the people were. I don't remember any unique names of any of the creatures or monsters or anything like that, that, that I could use to identify it. And if I, of course, if I just type in the name of it, nothing at all comes up. Yeah. Um, and, and it just kind of makes me, makes me sad because it could have been, it could have been totally awesome. And I, I, I just, I, I wonder what happened if someone just, if again, one person doing this, did they just become bored? Did they move on? Did they, you know? Who knows? Well, so a, a total conversion of Final Fantasy VI, was it? This was the Final Fantasy One. Oh, Final Fantasy One. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot less ambitious then. That's maybe like doable in a human lifetime. I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it seemed like progress was being made. Like, there were screenshots that would be yeah. shared periodically and description of – like, there was this cool mechanic where when you're inside a dungeon, it's going to be all dark – if you stand next to a torch, then it illuminates the area around you, which, you know, yeah. using a, a layer transition type thing. So in the time since I last talked about Abraham Lincoln land and now uh, the Lincoln soft website has gone dark. So we're, oh, no. the candles are going out as we speak. All the stars are vanishing from the sky. Entropy sets in. But I'm sure that site is still on archive.org. Perhaps we can go hunting for it in the future. Well, so the question is, can you remember – you'd need to remember the domain name to find it on archive.org. That's the trick. My guess is that people were talking about – if, they, if this, was, this was a cool mod, probably people were talking about it on forums. Some of those forums are still online most likely uh, and, and it's just a matter of finding the right keywords. Another example from my life, I was – I posted about my experience doing this Seeking Mr. Eden's Name quest line on Reddit. Oh, yeah. And one person replied saying like they discovered like – or they learned a lot about the lore from a blog called Vake Hunter. Vake is a – I think it's something you hunt in one of the uh, one of the ambitions in that game. And I searched for Vake Hunter and nothing came up. And I was just like, what? Did this just – this can't possibly have just vanished entirely. Uh, and eventually I realized Vic Hunter has a space in it. Uh, and then I found the blog. But it was just like, apparently, like Google has gotten, maybe it's just with fake words like Vic Hunter, where it doesn't know how to like autocorrect you by adding a space. Interesting. But I feel like Google search has been getting more, getting worse in that risk, like more, more brittle. It's trying to be more do what I mean, but in many cases, it's getting more brittle and, and just worse in general. It's become Clippy the Helper. Telling you that, like, oh, it looks like you're trying to do a search for vacuums instead of vague hunters or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I, this this in this case, it didn't give me anything. It's just like zero oh. <laughs> zero results. <laughs> like, no, doesn't exist. Yeah, no, nothing exists on this internet. Idiot, why would you search for that? <laughs> right, um, Hallie, do you have an example? I wish I had an example. I wish I had an example so much. I feel sad that I don't have one. That's okay. I have another one. Hey, please. <laughs> I just didn't want to like dominate the conversation with all my examples. I, I was also going to say like it, it's fortunate that you don't have one because other if you did it would plague you forever. Um, That's an excellent point. Yeah, but it would be good for the show. It would be. Jim, what's uh, your other one though? I've tweeted about this. This one um, on Slashdot in like 1998, they linked to a website for a project that was like a. It was a Mario 64 clone starring Tux, the Linux mascot. 
Oh, yeah. Do you know about this? Or you, or you saw it? I vaguely, I think I saw some of it. Yeah, there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of games. Yeah, I, I had not, yeah, there were a lot of games like this, honestly, in the open source world that, like, yeah, there was Tuxcart. So, Tuxcart kind of happened. Yeah, Tux Racer exists. So that so this was like a an open source 3D platformer in the vein of Super Mario 64. Yes, Tux. Okay, it was it wasn't just like replacing a sprite. It was like no, it was different. a new it was okay. a new game. And I remember there being a very very convincing screenshots of like Tux wandering around a volcano, and I can't find anything about it except that like when so when i tweeted about it someone replied saying oh yeah i think that turned out to be a hoax and that's all i've got to go on but it's totally plausible that like it's so much easier to make a a screenshot of a mario 64 clone than to actually make the mario 64 clone so like it's entirely plausible that even if it wasn't a hoax it was just yeah this never got past some here's some Here's a test scene that I made. Right, right. Just like proof of concept. Wouldn't it be cool if this existed? Yep. Uh-huh. I, I'm remembering I did one of these once. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jamestown. Wait, did- what? No, that came out. <laughs> um- <laughs> Jamestown feels like a fever dream, but it does exist. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like a fever dream. You're not wrong. Um, no, I was thinking... Uh, the World Forge project ages and ages ago, like right out of college, I got super into doing like world building with that project and then somehow accidentally ended up a project manager and had no idea what I was doing. Oh no. It was, I mean, it was good experience to know that I did not know how to manage projects. Now I do know how to manage projects. Uh, now I want Someone's saying, that. let me show you how the Peter principle works. <laughs> 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 it, well this is the because like it, in any volunteer thing you just like anybody who shows up and does anything like you get a job like it's what happens and i had i had no cultural context for any of this at the time uh i like what work i did on it but yes i did this this is my thing all the things like this that i can think of are games i never finished making so you know <laughs> You're the source. It's me. It's me. You were the one working on Final Fantasy Challenge Zero story. That was me. So the question is, is there evidence you ever talked about these games on the internet? I'm looking at their website right now and it does not look like it, which is which is for the best. I want to be very clear. <laughs> oh, but the website exists. So the project... World Forge exists. So the overall project exists. The sub-project that I was interested in does not. I see. That's a shame. Is it? Is I mean, it though? Maybe. Wouldn't it be nice to see? Maybe not. Maybe not. Never mind. Um, it might. It might. I always love seeing what people do with like stuff years later. Yeah. Well, I also wonder if 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 some of it, like some of the reasons why these things might go missing, is because this whatever thing was being worked on in the moment was like something that that person later went on to say, "Oh no, that was so cringy. I can't believe I did that." And they just, oh yeah, actively just erase it as much as possible i'm reminded there was there was a website that i enjoyed when i was younger as well called myboot.org maybe or myboot.com uh which which was like just some some person's personal website but he owned the domain and it was only it was like a a six character dot com domain so like rather valuable at the time i imagine um and he just used it to post fun articles that he was writing and he was working on a novella and it turns out that he lives in St. Louis, and he knows people that my family members who live in that area know. But the website is long gone. The novella, which was called She Hates My Futon, is... I'm sure it's still out there somewhere, but it's not finished. And I wonder if if the author just decided, uh, you know, this was something that I was working on for fun when I was much younger, and now I'm embarrassed by it. So, no more. Yeah, or it gets. I have a I have a short story that I was working on for a while where I wrote it, and then it came time to go to edits, and I just I lost the flow of the original project. And yeah, the edit is to delete it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes that's how it goes. Sometimes it do. Suddenly, it struck me that what's up with Abraham Lincoln Land guy's other project? So he made Abraham Lincoln Land. He started making it in like the early aughts. Uh, much more recently, he started selling Vaporwave Abraham Lincoln's face shirts <laughs> at like booths at at like county fairs and shit. 
and also on LincolnApparel.com. LincolnApparel.com is also gone. <gasps> so now I'm like, I'm worried that this guy died. But if he died, wouldn't it be the case that it would still be there? Or or was there something in the will that says, <laughs> in case of my <laughs> untimely demise, delete all of my domains? Someone has to keep paying the hosting fees. And oh, that's a good point. If you die, then it, then it stops happening. Yeah, I have a whole tabletop role-playing game that did that. Uh, it died and stopped paying hosting fees? I mean, I stopped... <laughs> I stopped paying hosting fees and forgot that's where the only, like, uh, existent copy of the full text was living. Oh, no. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It was... I enjoy parts of it. I have a quick... Did you check archive.org? I have, but it was locked behind a password, so... Yeah. Yeah. I did that to my own self. It also... It may still have the, like, my very first PHP forum that I wrote. Oh, wow. So who knows? I was proud of that. Anyway. You should be. I also... I also had a website in college where I made a bunch of fake reviews of fake bands um, (laughs) and fake (laughs) album covers for the fake albums that the fake bands put out. That's awesome, though. That's fantastic. Eventually went so far as to record one of the songs. Yes. (laughs) Committing to the bit. (laughs) And I have not been able to find it on the internet. One of the the topics that that we do one of these days should be about how web development used to be fun. Yeah. I built a fully functional e-commerce platform in like 2,000 lines of Perl. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember. I think part of the back end of that site might have been Pearl. CGI bin. I love Pearl. <laughs> I still love Pearl. I gave up on Pearl once I discovered Python. And oh, I... I gave up on it. I just still love it. <laughs> oh, sure. Good. That's good. You you didn't keep using it until you hated it like me. Oh. <laughs> I, I feel bad that I, that I missed all of the Pearl jokes because I feel like Pearl was the the language about which everyone made the most jokes at some point. It's a good language for those. It's, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely this weird fucking language. It's very strange. It's very like like if you made a language out of like parts you found in a junkyard. <laughs> okay. It's got six different steering wheels, and they all steer the car. Fucking love but, it. But like one of them is upside down. Man. I wrote my like first Markov chain check text generator. One of them's like sticking out next to the brake. You steer with your feet. I've got I've got a long weekend coming up. I think I've got a I've got a project ahead. You you want to get really good at regexes? <laughs> I, I do, in fact. <laughs> oh yeah, and regexes can just do everything the language everything the language can do again. The, the thing about learning Perl in a weekend is that you'll learn a subset of Perl that is a reasonable language to use and use that. <laughs> like, that's how that works. But if you have to then go and maintain someone else's code, they learned a different subset of Perl than you did. Oh, no. And so, like, if you want to, re- if you really want the Perl experience, you've got to, like, go do, like, bug fixes in, like, a dozen different Perl projects. I, I am definitely not going to do that this weekend. Yeah. Um sounds sounds like like what am I what am I trying to say? Like mutually intelligible languages. Sure. Like romance languages that you can kind of like have things in common and Well, they're not into mutually intelligible though, but they are mutually executable. <laughs> mutually executable <laughs> languages. Terrifying. Are we ready for another topic? I'd love another topic. My topic is YouTube streams movies now and they have comments. Oh no. So when I say YouTube streams movies, like I'm making a philosophical distinction here. Like, I, I assume that every, everybody knows that when I say movies, they I mean like the kind of movies you would pay to go see in a theater, even though nobody does that anymore. Movies that have been released and are now like are no longer in theaters and now they are on YouTube. Yeah. Though. So if you search YouTube for like Napoleon, I don't know if this will be true in six weeks, but if you search for like Napoleon Dynamite. You will find a search result uh, of the the full streaming Napoleon Dynamite movie, and it'll say free with ads. Mm. Other movies will say buy or rent, but the free with ads movies you can just stream. And if you have ad block on, free with ads just means free at Google on Google's dime. But even on the movies that just say buy or rent, 
you can go to the page and scroll down and it's got like it's got like the upload date. Napoleon Dynamite was uploaded on June 1st, 2022. And there's like a video description and it's got 24,000 likes and 2,185 comments. It seems like a betrayal of both movies and YouTube. It's it's kind of a mashup. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm thinking about taking something out of the context in which you would expect it and putting it in this totally other context where you can still experience it, but the experience you're having is no longer the intended experience. Right. Yeah. A movie that, that came out in 2004 was not intended to be watched on your on your phone with a bunch of people commenting below it. <laughs> right. Yeah, here's a comment that says it's got a timestamp, 37 colon 43. Dang it. And then a frowny face. And then one of the funniest parts. <laughs> I mean. And, and I'm just, I'm just going to click on the timestamp to see what, what, th- what they're talking about. Oh, yes. It's the part where uh, Napoleon's brother, Kip, is demonstrating how strong the Tupperware is and backs over it with his van and it breaks. And then he says, dang it, and drives away. Which... Like, is pretty funny. It's funny to me that we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite and funny uh-huh. at the same time. I mean, sorry, sorry, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that to sound the way that it did. And I, I separately have a Napoleon Dynamite story that I could tell, but, but I, I, I don't know. You could tell it in the comments of the YouTube video for Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I mean, but there's twenty four thousand comments. No one's going to find mine. I'll upvote your comment. On Like, you can upvote each other's comments? Is you, that can, you, yeah. you vote on comments, and, like, it's not it's totally clear how they sort everything to the top, but the ones oh, at the wow. top do tend to have more upvotes. I see. They also tend to be more recent, I guess, so it's probably a combination mm-hmm. of both. Yeah, I was going to say, I will, I will be perfectly honest and say that I have not engaged with YouTube the way that I think YouTube wants me to in some time. Mm-hmm. You can also change the sorting to sort by newest comment. Oh, there you go. Oh, man. I want to see the low quality. Oh my god, the top one, though. Okay, let's find out what this is. Legend has it that if this was your first movie before you enlisted in the military, then you'd die on your deployment. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Two minutes ago. Ed- Edwin Wilkes. Just making... I'm going to vote on that. I'm going to vote it up. I'm going to vote it up so that it's more likely that... Listeners to this show will be able to go to the page and and see that see that particular comment. Pedro is so underrated, says Levy Low. Is he? Like he won the election. I feel like a lot of people like Pedro. I mean, did he win the election on his own merits or because his his friend is the star of the movie and wore that shirt while doing that cool dance? Yeah, that dance was that dance definitely won the election. As I recall, did, like wasn't that a plot point that everyone breaks into cheers once he finishes the dance? I believe so. Yeah. I have another fun fact about that that I could put in the comments of this, or I could just tell you. I'm I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story about Napoleon Dynamite. This is not the story that I was going to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. All right, I'm going to transcribe it into this YouTube comment while you tell it. So many years ago, I needed to create an audition tape for. A, uh, a musical extravaganza that my company was doing for for some reason. Was this Wait, is that is should I not be talking about your former employer on on National Public Radio? I mean, I I I, I don't know. I like I I I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Like people will find me if they're if they're. That's true. You and you did give about your last name. I did. I did figure out who your former employer was from your LinkedIn immediately before this. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it could. I. I mean, it could have been any of my former employees or employers, rather. But yes, it's the one you're thinking of. Anyway, the point was, I had to do. I had to sing and I had to dance. And the dance that I did was the Napoleon Dynamite dance. Good. And so, uh, so I taught myself the first like minute of it, and then I was like, "That's a, that's about as much as I'm gonna. That's as much as they're gonna get." Um, and then my spouse filmed it and edited it because she is a talented video editor. I uh, I was chosen for the role. And then I was so excited, like, oh, great, I get to be a part of this thing. And it turned out that of all the people who they opened it up to, which was like 300-something of the, the managers across the country, I was the only one who submitted a, an audition. Oh, so, wow. Huh. So anyway, that's my story about Napoleon Dynamite. I got to I got to be a part of a musical extravaganza by doing a half-assed 
attempt at the first minute of that dance. Congrats. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. We will see, Jim, when you're getting ready to publish this, if I'm going to be brave enough to release the video, which still exists <laughs> and it, and is on YouTube. Um, unlisted. Uh, it's unlisted. I think it's probably protected as well. But I mean, I could I could throw it into the the, the Twin Beard plays Mario sixty four DS playlist. Just drop it in there. No one's ever. I mean, they'll find out. Anyway, <laughs> that's my that's my story about that. Sorry to derail from your YouTube stream. Good story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's my job, though, to derail. That's everybody's job on the show. Are we are we ready for another topic? Yes. Sure. For this topic, we're going to be reading the Canterbury Tales general prologue by Geoffrey Chaucer. John, this was your idea, and you're the one who thinks you can pronounce this, so take it away. How much of this do you want to read? Because the link here, I'm still scrolling. I'm going to go down to the first... The end of the first stanza, which is like 18 lines. It's pretty, Okay, that's pretty way that's way less than yeah, the yeah. whole thing. I, I, I was trying to find the whole thing, ju- just that piece, but it's hard to find it with all the proper uh, uh, accents and things on it. Right. But, you know, I'll apologize after. This is the intro to the Canterbury Tales. Juan that April with his shortest sota, the druct of March hath pierced to the rota, and bathed every vine in switch liqueur, of which were two engendered is the floor. One's a fairest ache with his sweet abraith, in spirit hath in every holt and haith, the tender cropus, and the youngesona, hath in the ram his half a corsirona, and smaller foolus mockin' melodea, that slep in all the nicht with open air. So pricketh hem nature in here courages, than longin folk to go on pilgrimages. And palmers for forsaken strongest strondus, to furna hallwis couth in sondry londus, and specially from every sheeris enda of Engelon to Canterbury they wenda, the holy blissful martyr for forsaka, that hem hath holpen one that they were sake. Uh, so before we before we give our opinions on this poem, I just want to point out uh, the movie Straight Out of Compton has comments turned off. Oh, so we can't see people's opinions about that. I mean. There's, there's a, I feel like I want to dig deeper on that at some point. Okay, well. <laughs> I find like, what's the, what's the cross section of, of movies really that are out, out there that do or do not have comments? I, di- I didn't mean this to be suddenly much more interesting than the poem we did. I mean. I mean. Okay, so what, what do we have to say about Canterbury Tales? Because I couldn't, I couldn't understand any of that. I was following along by reading it. Well, it's Middle English. Uh. So it's close to being intelligible, but there are some things that are that are goofy. I mean, I, I can kind of explain the things that I know about it. I, I think there's annotated versions of this that you can read and, and see the actual modern translation. Yeah, I'm going to go to genius.com. Yeah, but I can I can do my best to describe from memory what I what I think the explanations are. And feel free to jump in if I'm getting it wrong. It's it's about like spring's coming and it's getting warmer and. Uh, people want to go on pilgrimages and to to go to, to distant lands. And the whole premise of the, the Canterbury Tales, if I'm remembering correctly, is that there's this group of travelers who are going together and they kind of take turns telling stories to each other. And so this is kind of describing they're, they're going to Canterbury to uh, seek the holy blissful martyr as it is. The things that come to mind that are, that are particularly interesting, uh, it mentions the... Uh, the tender crops, so the crops that are still new, the young asana, so the, the, the sun, and then Hath and the Ram references uh, Aries, the zodiac sign, which is from the middle of March until the middle of April. So this is like half in, half in the Ram means like halfway through that period. So right at the beginning of April, and the small birds are singing at night, etc., etc., Getting ready to go on a go on an adventure. I find it super interesting that it is referencing Zephyrus and the Ram, and is also all about pilgrimages. So we get like three intersecting canons. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I find interesting. That you you yeah. like just just as we said, like some thousand or so years ago, we're we're using these uh, shared cultural languages that sort of people know. Everyone on the internet still talks about astrology, but. Uh, mm. Not everyone, but yeah. many of the circles I'm in, anyway. Yeah, it's still very popular. Well, and the premise too that like this is this is about people going together and telling stories to each other. Yeah, and it's like yeah. 
it's also really interesting that like we used to pronounce those ma- th- those e's like yeah. those e's didn't <laughs> used to be silent we just said yeah. the e's yeah we should go back to saying the e's we like we said the k at the beginning of knife <laughs> yeah. bring it back um yeah i mean i could just go around and start uh pronouncing my final syllable why not so genius.com does have voluminous annotations for this the whole prologue actually yeah i, I imagine there's quite a like this is something that i think a lot of a lot of people have read this for a long time yeah <laughs> yeah this, is, this is a well sparks notes text <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and i i think we were talking about this before we started recording but this was this was something that i first learned about this when i was a sophomore in high school um and it one of our assignments was to memorize this and perform it in front of the class. Oh. So th- thank you, Rod Flagler, for making me do that assignment uh, back in the 90s because it was uh, stayed with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you even have it up in front of you? I did. I, I mean, I, the thing is, I, I still have a lot of the lines memorized but i don't have them in order memorized oh sure and so i'll yeah. just i'll just be kind of you know because they all they kind of have that lilting uh tempo to them and so you can kind of just drop things in and, and like know which ones go together like i'll i'll be standing around in the kitchen i'll just say and smaller foolish muck and melodea that's slipping all the nicht with open ear and then nan thinks you're you're sleepwalking and gives you a smack well at this point she understands that 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 i just I mean, she knows me. She knows that I'll just start jabbering. Yeah, you've been married for a while. We've been married for a while. Ten, ten years in a couple months. Oh, congrats! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, hopefully that doesn't curse anything that we that we that I just said it. But yeah. you know. jeez, dark times here on Topic Words. Dark times. No, I well, I I bring this up because I um, one of my coworkers was from Germany, and he told me that his birthday was coming up. And I started to wish him happy birthday. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that until after it's passed. I was like, why? He's like, well, because it's it's a superstition in Germany that if you wish someone a happy birthday before their birthday, then they will die. You can be convicted of murder. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe that's the origin. I don't know. Yikes. So no congratulations to you two. Yeah. Nothing yeah, like let's, that. Let's get, let's get there first. Break a leg. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, that's my poem. Yeah. I uh, I think it's interesting how much you you spent a bunch of time studying this presumably like how much of this was studying like how much of remembering the poem was like finding the cognates and coming to an understanding of what you were saying versus just memorizing syllables I think when we were doing this it was explained what everything meant like we had the we had the modern english translation of everything uh and so you can kind of go through and see how things are similar and where they're where they're very different you know things like the drucht of march it's like oh the drought but we we just say drought now rather than drucht um and, and so there there are those cognates that that kind of make make sense and you can you can understand what the other ones are are trying to express and so then from from there, once you understand what it's about, then it's like, then it's just trying to get the cadences and trying to get the pronunciations and understanding, um, you know, where you have to put the accents and things like that. And also, like, I, I, I will, I will say that as I was saying this, I felt like my pronunciation was maybe not, not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is something where I have, in preparation for this, I watched many, many people on YouTube reciting this and as many people as i watched i had that many different pronunciations i was kind of shocked that like i couldn't find one that seemed canonical so i just kind of defaulted back to the one that i learned which was again my teacher rod flagler just uh saying it in his way which was without any particular uh accent upon it just standard southern california so now i'm just picturing him as a surper dude which is not helpful oh no no he was he was he was the least surfer dude he was like i think he, he went to school in texas he told us stories about fraternity life in texas anyway Oof. he he chewed tobacco in the <laughs> mornings before class did he have a spittoon in class he had a little uh a little dixie cup wow yep. yeah it, it was like and i i knew that this 
I knew this about him. And then one time I had to come in early to take a test that I had missed. And he was just like fully chewing and spitting. I guess I guess I knew this about this guy, but now I'm actually now I really know it. Chewing tobacco is a very visceral tobacco consumption experience. Right. For everybody around you. It, it is a thing I used to do emphasis on used to. Oh, mm. wow. Okay. So you, you can weigh in on Dixie Cup versus Spittoon. I mean, Dixie Cup is more convenient. Spittoon is so much nicer for your for the people around you. I used to be a fan of a Gatorade bottle because it has that curved top, so it probably won't spill out. Oh. Yeah, see? Spittoon also has that, that cool sound when you land right. it right in there, right? Yeah, That's it does the ding. That's super true. The, the paper cup, cup will not ding. Paper cup does not ding. Kids, please don't chew tobacco or dip tobacco. It is terrible. If you, terrible if you chew you. tobacco, get a spittoon. Yeah, have some self-respect. The editorial staff of Topic Lords does not endorse chewing tobacco. Or What's any the tobacco thing product? where you stick it under your lip and you like make TikTok, TikTok videos like that? What? <laughs> so there's a form of nicotine consumption. Oh, sure. Dip? Dip. Thank you. Where, where you, you stick nicotine blob under your lip mm-hmm. and it just sticks out out of your mouth. And then you make TikTok videos. <sighs> which is a crucial part of the whole process. Also called snus. In, snus. Uh, snus in uh, in Scandinavia. Yeah. I thought that maybe, I was, maybe I'm thinking, I'm confusing that with snuff, which is when you just inhale it. Uh, you, sometimes snus gets called snuff, but it's different. Uh, like mm. they are both like powdered tobaccos, so maybe there's an etymology there. But yeah, sorry, I was just up in like... Up in Sweden, yeah, like that. I also have Swedish ancestors up where the potato farmers were, and um, <laughs> and I was visiting that area recently and thinking about um, the the old family general store, which I believe they used to sell snus at. Uh sorry that that was not relevant to whatever topic this. Ha- I think it's Chaucer. It's Chaucer is the topic. These are the these are the the discussions that I come for when I come on Topic Lords. <laughs> That's that's I'm I'm here for the leaps, the lateral jumps, and then bringing it back. Big league chew. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that big league chew? How, how good a simulacrum is big league chew of the chewing tobacco experience? I mean, not not a good one. Okay. <laughs> Would you say it is? It puts a like a. Would you say it gives a, a good image to the concept of chewing tobacco? Yeah, I think it's propaganda. Yeah. And would you would you say it was a gateway drug? Yes, I would say that Big League Chew is a gateway drug. For, but for you personally, I mean. Oh, no, no. The gateway drug for me was having just, like, a cool friend from Tennessee. Oh, yeah. There's your problem. <laughs> wow. I guess we're done talking about Big League Chew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's gum. I mean, that's, that, that's, I mean, it makes sense that if you are a baseball player, you would want to consume a form of tobacco that doesn't destroy your lungs, I guess. That's true. That's an excellent point. I mean, but why would you want to consume a form of tobacco Wait, doesn't it then destroy your jaw? I mean, yes. Don't you get, like, jaw cancer? Yes. But that happens it- after your career is over. Still, you don't need your jaw to live, and you do need your lungs to live, so it does make a, a sense... So maybe it's just like there's a lot of waiting around, and you gotta keep yourself occupied. And you gotta keep your mouth occupied, right? Yep. And uh, right. Does do nicotine patches give you skin cancer? I don't know. Do you get like melanoma? Wow, I wonder. I'm looking it up. We have research. We've reached research here on Topic Lords. It looks like nicotine itself is not necessarily the cancer causing. Oh right, it's the tar. Right, you yeah. need tar patches. Yeah, you would need you would need tar patches. Tarred and feathered probably gives you skin cancer. The nicotine is so far removed from like being a smoked plant that I guess it's fine. Yeah, like vaping. I don't know that vaping is fine. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for topic lords. <laughs> vaping is no fine, comment. you hear me? I'm gonna end this show. <laughs> I make no comment on whether I'm vaping right now. Uh John, uh, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on the internet on Twitter at RoboHunkX, um, and apparently on LinkedIn as well. But, well, I mean, that'd be kind of weird. Find me on LinkedIn. 
I know you from Topic Lords. Topic Lords is not on my LinkedIn. But it could be. You, you've been, you're a 10 episoder. That's true. I mean, I mean, I just sent a connection request. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we should come up with a, 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 a nice pithy like German word for having been on Topic Lords 10 times so you can put it on your LinkedIn. I'll, I'll ask my colleagues to see if anyone. <laughs> so, so listen, everyone, I've got this, I've got this situation. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you, you pull them aside and whisper it to them. Bring that to the morning meeting on Monday. <laughs> uh, and Hallie, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at H-A-L-L-I-E underscore 9000 on Twitter. Thanks so much for being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!